uh, our passage as we make our way through Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 4, and the last week's passage, this is what, this is what Paul was talking about. He's talking about life outside of Christ, and he had some very strong terms to represent that life outside of Christ. He described it this way, as walking in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, a hardness of heart, callous, giving themselves up to sensuality. You know, very strong language. And even if somebody around you apparently looks sophisticated and everything is going great, uh, this is life outside of Jesus Christ because ultimately they don't understand what life is all about. Now, in our passage this week, beginning in verse 20, there's a stark contrast in which Paul grabs our attention and says, but you're different. And so if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read today's passage from Ephesians 4, verse 20, the rest of the paragraph. Okay, with that as a background, life outside of Christ, we come to verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Our paragraph, beginning last week if you were here, has two movements. Last week is talking about that we as believers are new creations, and we cannot live like the non-Christians around us. We're different. This week, the emphasis is not on that we're different from other people around us, but we're different than the way we used to be outside of Christ. And so, he really presses in to ourself. Now, you're different if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, because the Bible says you became a new creature. Jesus expressed that when He said, you, you must be born again. You became a new being. Maybe that's most vivid in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. Now, let's be clear. There are ways that we are like the people around us who don't know Christ, and there are ways we are unlike them. We are like them in what I would call the incidentals, or the, uh, you know, more superficial things in the way we dress, the way we talk, our accent, vocabulary, uh, that we're for the Houston Astros, if you live in Houston, hopefully not the Cubs, all you guys from Chicago. But, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, superficial incidentals, we're, we're alike, and we should be. But in some fundamental, below-the-surface levels in terms of values, in terms of perspectives, in terms of attitudes, in terms of what God uh, has done in our lives, we're very different. For example, God has wiped away all of our sins as far as the east is from the west, not because we work hard, not because we were clever enough or good enough, but just because of His grace and mercy and kindness. And we are now creatures of eternity. We belong to heaven, not earth. We've got a new perspective on what's important in life. We're chasing not only, we're chasing not our dreams for ourselves, but God's dreams for ourselves. And, and we're adopted children. We're secure in Him. We're, loved, we're so loved by Him. And we've got new life, uh, Paul said. And we've got God inside us. God inside us, the creator of the universe. And it's just an amazing thing. So the Bible teaches we're new. And, and therefore, 
We cannot live like we once lived. We've got to see ourselves as God sees us and live in light of it. And so, in our passage, when he says in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And he has a very emphatic way of saying you, because he's saying to all you believers in Ephesus, and God is saying this to the believers here at Wood's Edge this morning, you, that's not the way you live. That's not the way you learned Christ. You are different, and we must live in light of the differences. Now, one of the striking images that I've seen to highlight the differences between Christians and non-Christians, even though they may look and smell the same and have many things similar, they're, they're different, came from C.S. Lewis when he said this. He said, the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, in a nightmare. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a mere gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. And when you keep in mind the destiny of every human being, Either those who reject God, and, and all that means that one day there'll be an everlasting horror, or those who have received the gift of life in Christ will one day be with Him, a glorified body, made perfect and clean, and immortal splendor. Now, that highlight, okay, you, you are a new creation. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you get the, the, the life of God pulsing in you, then you're a new creation. All righty, what does he say about that? He says, uh, this is not the way that you learned Christ. Now, that is an unusual expression, isn't it? That's not the way we would talk. We would not say, you know, that's the way that you learned a person. We would not say you learned somebody. We'd say you learned about somebody. When Stephen and Kaylee Pankratz, you know, came to be part of our church, actually, Stephen was an intern or helper a few years ago. I did not learn Stephen. I learned about Stephen, and he learned about me. That's the way we talk. And by the way, that's the way the Greek world talked too. We don't have another instance in all of Greek literature, within or without of the Bible, in which this kind of language is used. You learned somebody. It's totally new. So why, why does Paul use that odd, odd language that that's not the way you learned Christ? Well, very simple. He is not talking about learning about. He's talking about, I personally met him and got to know him and had a personal relationship with him and uh, he came into my life. I, I learned him in that sense. It, it was so vivid. It's as if Paul was saying, you came to know Christ as a person. You embraced him. You trusted him. You received him. You, you learned him, and he now shapes you and guides you and molds you. He's your king and you're his servant. You know, it's, it's that kind of deep relationship. You learned Christ. You came to know him, and everything changed. Now, he elaborates that in the next part of that verse, in verse 21, when he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, those are three verbs in a row that really kind of feel like a school or an uh, education. You, you learned him, you uh, heard him, you were taught in him. And it's like he's saying, Christ is everything to us. He is the subject that you learn. 
He is the teacher that you heard, and he is the classroom or atmosphere where you heard him. He's everything. We can never forget, church, that when we came to Christ, maybe some of you have forgotten this because you've been a believer a long time, but when you came to Christ, you did not come to a religion or a philosophy. You came to a person. Our faith is not about rules and regulations. It's not about a philosophy of life. It is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about a love relationship with him and nothing else. It is a person. It's Paul saying, for to me, to live is Christ. He's my whole life. I want to please him. I want to seek him. I want to trust him. I want to chase after him. Uh, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is very clear. Now, uh, the end of that verse, 21, when he says, you've taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so that just little summary point is that the truth, not some of the truth, not part of the truth, not a little of the truth, but the truth is in Jesus. In fact, he could say and did say in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, because he is not a philosopher like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, and tons of other folks, but he is none other than the living God come to flesh, he could say, I embody all truth in the universe. Did you know there's not not any truth in the universe that's not God's truth? All truth is God's truth. And that's why we are lovers of truth in every academic discipline, because truth is God's. He is the author, the source, the embodiment of truth. The truth is in Jesus. Now, at this point, he's going to tell us three of those truths. So everything we've seen now is preface. And, and, and now we get to the main part of the passage where he's going to give us three specific truths about the fact that we're new in Christ and the old life is gone. So he says, the truth is in Jesus, and, and then he lists those three in beginning in verse 22. And here they are, the three, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, three verbs there, put off, be renewed, put on. Now, the first one and the third one are past tenses. Uh, they, are, they happened at the time we came to Christ, even though we may not have used that language or, or known about it was happening, but that's what happened, part of what happened. You put off at the time of Christ your old way of life. You put on your new way of life, living for Christ. Now, the second one is not past tense, it's present tense to be renewed, ongoing action in the spirit of your minds. Now, so the other two have happened in the past. We just need to live in light of them. We need to recognize that that happened and, and live to who we are, who God made us. But the second one, that's really the only real command in the passage. You need Christians to be renewed continually in the spirit of your minds. For example, Romans 12, 2 says this. It says... Um, Do not be conformed to this world. That is, don't live like non-Christians anymore. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's God's call to us, and we're going to see what that involves. Okay, the three truths. First one, let's unpack them a bit. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Okay, put off your old self. That word, that verb for put off and the verb for put on were used in the culture of the time of throwing off old, dirty clothes or putting on clean, new clothes. Just to fling them off, fling them off. So the first one, (coughs) 
put off your old clothes. He said, that's what you were taught. You did that. You threw off your old clothes dirty. Your old way of life, the stinky, dirty clothes. You don't wear those anymore. You don't have to wear them anymore. You can put on the new clothes like you put on this morning when you came here. It is foolish to live like we once lived. Man, stinky clothes? Why would you do that? Do you guys remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? came out 10, 15 years ago. It's kind of become a modern classic because it's such a vivid portrait of freedom. And uh, uh, Morgan Freeman plays a prisoner, Red, and Tim Robbins plays a, a, a banker who is falsely charged of murdering his wife. He's innocent, but he's falsely charged, and he's thrown in this prison in New York. Now, when he gets in the prison, his name's Andy Dufresne in the movie, uh, this Andy Dufresne, he begins uh, working on a tunnel so, so he could escape one day, and it takes him years and years. But he has this little chisel in it at night while others are sleeping, and he softly uh, chips away at the uh, wall behind him, and he makes his way. Somehow he finds out that there is a sewage tunnel back in there somewhere, so he tunnels, you know, way into the wall to this sewage tunnel, and then he somehow gets into this sewage tunnel or uh, passageway or something that goes several hundred yards way outside the prison. And one night, after years and years of work, uh, digging that hole during a thunderstorm, he ties a plastic bag of clean clothes to him, and he begins uh, crawling out that space that he's created. Now, when he gets to the sewage tunnel, uh, I mean think about it. He is crawling through all their sewage, you know, open sewage for hundreds of yards. And then when he gets to the other end, if you remember the movie, it's raining, he's free, it's a great picture of freedom. Um, But the next time we see him, the next scene, he walks into the bank the next morning with a new suit of clothes on. What has he done, if not, throw off those dirty, stinky, sewage-soaked clothes and put on the new clothes because he's a new person. He's no longer the prisoner. Now, friends, that is a picture of how we are in Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, we have no choice, but we are a slave to fear, anger, unforgiveness, lust, selfishness, self-centeredness, all kinds of stuff in our life. We are deceived by the enemy, and that's the old way of life, but we can fling off those sewage-soaked way of living. Sewage-soaked. And we can put on those bright, fresh new clothes. Why would we go back to the sewage-soaked clothes? You don't have to do that. You don't have to live in anger for unforgiveness, lust, fear, uh, shame anymore. Live in Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ completely. Um, He says deceitful desires is that old way of life. Your former man of life and its deceitful desires You know, before we come to Christ, outside of Christ, you know, people who maybe look like they've got their act together, maybe highly successful, tan, fit, pretty, all those kind of things. But the Bible says that they live in deceit. Um, The lies of this world, the lies of the enemy are things like this. I I need that new thing to be happy. You know, much, much of advertising world is based on this. You know, I I need that person to be married to to be happy. I I need that sleek body to be happy. I I cannot find fulfillment apart apart from that thing, that job, that person, you know, something else external. Maybe that drink, that substance. It is a lie, a deceitful desire. We know better. We know better. 
Because God says that because you are an image bearer of the living God, you've got this vacuum in your heart that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. It was best put, perhaps, by Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher and mathematician, who said there is a Christ-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that can only be filled by God in Christ. It's a Christ-shaped vacuum. We know that's true. And believers, because we swim in the world of our culture, sometimes we forget. And we think, oh, I need that. Oh, no. Uh, that can be a good thing. Uh, enjoy it. But that's not going to satisfy the hole in your heart. Or even more powerfully, Augustine, who chased after fulfillment in philosophy and in sex, uh, when he came to Christ, he said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Friend, this morning, maybe even you're a believer, but your hearts are restless because you've forgotten. You've forgotten who you are, and how God made you. Your rest is only going to be found in Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says to you and me. Okay, deceitful desires. All right, the second thing, put off the old sewage clothes. The second thing, and then be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's the continual action. That's the command. You be renewed. In the, in the spirit of your minds, and I'm going to come back to that at the end and, because that's the real command in the passage. How does that happen? What do we need to do about that one? All right, the third one, you put on the new self, also putting on new clothes, created after the likeness of God. So you're a new creation. You're created anew. You're born again after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know, you, can no, longer, you no longer have to live with fear, guilt, pride, ego, dishonesty, Lust, living for this world, chasing after deceitful desires, you can put on Christ, who alone gives you life. You're created after the likeness of God. Uh, what God is transforming us into, renewing us into, is more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more like God, godly. A few weeks ago, the passage also talked about uh, the measure of maturity is to be more and more like Christ. And a great picture of that is simply the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and look at those nine and just, you know, this is what Jesus Christ wants us to be more and more because this is who he was. And, and is that being true? Is that being lived out in your life more and more? Or are you being renewed in the spirit of your minds? Are you living in light of the new creation that you are? Church, what does this passage say to you and me this morning? It says you cannot live like non-Christians around you. It says you cannot live like you once lived because you're not the person that you once were. You're a completely new being headed to immortal splendor. Reaffirm. See yourself as God sees you and live in light of it. Flung off, you've flung away the old way of life. You've put on the new way of life. And then he says, really the only command, the central command, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, how does that happen? Um, how are, do you and I obey this command this morning? Because we don't want to be hearers of the word, but doers. Um, it, it only happens by the spirit of God taking the word of God to transform the people of God. That's how it happens. The spirit of God does it. He takes the word of God. And he transforms the, the people of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so live in the Word of God. 
Soak in the Word of God. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. It's the glory of the Word. It's the power of the Word. It is the treasure of the Word. Sometime back, I came across a, 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 a quote by a Catholic monk by the name of Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton, because of his life story, seven-story mountain, uh, kind of became famous in literary circles. And I was so delighted to see this quote that he said. He said this about the Scriptures. He said, by the reading of Scripture, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed. The whole world is charged with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. Now, when I became a Christian as a freshman at Rice University, and I was challenged that if I was serious about God, I'd start meeting with the Lord in an open Bible every day, prayer and Bible study. And, and for years, that was more discipline than delight. But at some point, uh, the experience of Thomas Merton became my experience. And so years later, when I saw what he wrote, I said, yes, he gets it. I am so renewed by Scripture that all nature seems renewed. And, and, and I sense the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. And if you haven't experienced that, you're missing out on some of the glory and the greatness that God has for you. And it will not come lightly or quickly. It will not come by a quick five or ten minutes of hurried prayer and Bible reading each day. But if you get along with God and, and, and sit before the Word of God and ask God to speak to you, and you, you open the Bible not because you want to know Scripture better necessarily, but you want to know God better. And you recognize you're not reading a book of theology. You're listening to God speak to you by His Spirit. Then over time, a lot of time, something magical happens to your soul, and there's glory. And I so long for every one of us at Wood's Edge to experience all that God has us when it comes to the power of the Word of God. This guy on the screen, coming up on the screen, that good-looking fellow there, is Fyodor Dostoevsky. Can I tell you about Dostoevsky? Maybe you read Crime and Punishment in High School English. Um, some people consider him the greatest novelist ever and, and consider his work, Brothers Karamazov, the single greatest novel ever. It's a powerful book. And uh, here's, here's Karamazov's story as told by Philip Yancey in one of his books. He said, as a young man, Dostoevsky was involved with a radical political group opposing the Tsar. This is the 1800s of Russia. And uh, they were arrested and sentenced to death by firing squad. And so one night at midnight, Christmas Day at midnight, just before midnight, the prisoners were lined up the uh, other soldiers with their guns, you know, they, they, they lifted their rifles. They were all loaded and everything. They cocked their rifles, and, and the commander gave the orders. Ready. Aim. Just at that time, uh, a galloping horse rode in. I got a message from the czar. They're not going to be shot. They're going to be sent to Siberia to prison camp. And you can imagine, can't you? <sighs> Enormous relief for those guys. I mean, it was all staged to uh, make them sweat. Um, this is what happened. At the stroke of midnight on Christmas Day, guards pounded 10-pound shackles on his legs and marched him to an open sled. For 18 days in freezing cold that caused him frostbite, he endured this horse-drawn journey. The convoy paused for a few days in Siberia before final dispersal of the prisoners, and the commandant allowed a visit 
by three women who were wives of other political prisoners who had settled there to be close to their husbands. The three had made it their mission to welcome new prisoners and to bring them comfort. One of those women was a devout believer who had studied German philosophy, and she knew the Bible almost by heart. And she hands Dostoevsky a a New Testament. And she said, she whispers to him that he should search it carefully. And inside he found a 10-pound or 10-ruble note. Dostoevsky went on to the prison, and where he spent years, he believed that God had given him a second chance to fulfill his calling. He poured over the New Testament. I mean, he soaked in the New Testament. He saturated himself in the New Testament during that confinement, and it changed his life. Uh, Later, his daughter Amy, he was released from prison after years. His daughter Amy, later in his life, said this about him. And I asked our team to put this on the, the screen because I think it's so powerful. This is what she said about Dostoevsky. She said, he studied the precious volume from cover to cover, pondered every word. That's how you study the Bible. You ponder every word. You learn, she, he learned much of it by heart and never forgot it. All his works are saturated with it, and it is this which gives them their power. And even after his release, Dostoevsky took that New Testament with him the rest of his life. At home, he kept it in a drawer close to his table always within him. It is this book that gives him, that gives his writings, perhaps the greatest novelist in history, gives his writings their power. Friends, church, there is power. There is glory. There is riches in the Word of God because there are so many, many, many human words all about us, but this is fundamentally different. This is the living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, razor-sharp, powerful, spirit-fueled words of the living God. Above all other things, read these words. Friends, You've got a disadvantage. I've got a disadvantage. We live in the internet age. We, li- we, need in the, we, we, we live in the profusion of knowledge. And we've got Instagram, Facebook, internet, TV commercials, books, and magazines. We've got them coming at us, flying at us left and right. Friends, there is a diarrhea of words out there. Carefully chosen word. A diarrhea of words. And if those words that flood of words is keeping you from this word, then take that technology and throw it in the nearest fire so you can live in these words and meet the God and the creator of the universe who knows what true life is all about and decide, come what may, every day, I'm going to meet with God before an open Bible and ask God to speak to me. I'm not reading for theology or for head knowledge. I'm reading to meet God and to draw close to Him. Um, set a time. Get a plan. Start tomorrow or today. Um, you don't have a plan. Start with Matthew 1. Read a paragraph. Ask God to speak to you. Ponder every word. Maybe at the same time, start with the Psalms. Read a, a few lines every day. Make your way through it. Ask God to speak to you. You're not going to feel the fire and music that first day, probably, but you're going to feel it, and you're going to sense it, and it's going to change your life, just like 
Dostoevsky. Church, let me say this to you. There are scads of Christians around the world who don't have the Bible in their language. They would love this. They would love this. And there are scads of Christians around the world who've got Bibles like this sitting on dusty shelves. And um, you're different because you are part of a church that teaches the Bible and believes in the Bible. And you've got a pastor who, who regularly exhorts you to treasure this book. It will make all the difference. And if you ignore the voice of God and leave that Bible on the shelf, you're going to get to heaven one day and face God. Why, why would you treasure the diarrhea over this? You have no excuse. You have no excuse. Make it your firm resolve, just like I did as a college freshman, new to the Lord. By God's grace, I will meet God every day in the pages of Scripture, for there is life. Stand with me. Friend, if you're in the room and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not here by accident, but because a sovereign, gracious God has called you. And right now, you can trust Him as your Savior. Maybe repeat after me something like this. Jesus, come into my life. Save me from my sin. Thank you so much. And He will save you. Lord, for the rest of us, these dear brothers and sisters... Help us to experience all the life you have for us, Lord God, because we are lovers of your word, because we are lovers of our God. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.